This is the Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Catch Stan every weekday at 2 on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. James Harrison was on one of the myriad NFL shows on virtually every network. And he offered the opinion. You heard him at the top of the program. Le'Veon Bell should report at the last possible minute, which would be about November 13th. That means that he would get in the final six games, which he needs to accrue a full season, which would then enable him to become an unrestricted free agent at the end of 2018. And I've been asked the question, well, what if he doesn't show up at all? Well, then he still owes the Steelers a year under the franchise tag of 14-5. I certainly think that the Steelers will not go through another year like this and they'll rescind the tag at a time of their choosing. But then Harrison adds, oh, I'd go to practice and I'd work hard in practice, and then the day before a game I'd say, oh, my ankle hurts, I can't play. While you're playing, paying him 850000 a week, and he's getting the time in necessary to free these burdensome chains that he's under. First of all, Harrison was probably always a jerk. He acted like a jerk, but he played the position amazingly well. Maybe he feels like he's standing up for a union brother. Maybe he feels like he's standing up for all players everywhere. But I would like to think, and maybe I'm naive in this, that there's some kind of a code of honor among players that you don't join a team, and there are 52, they use the term, I don't, it's their term, brothers, in the locker room who are depending on you and you are depending on them. This isn't golf. It's not tennis. It's a team sport. It's not chess. There's, isn't there some sort of a code of honor that you show up and you're ready to go and you're healthy and you're going to play instead of trying to pull the wool over everybody's eyes? And destroy a code of honor, which is age old in professional sports, collegiate sports for that matter. There are some guys who won't play with certain injuries. It comes down to the makeup of individuals. Higher pain threshold, different levels of dedication, motivation. But for him to come in and... This is a guy, remember now, who was purposely disruptive, sleeping in meetings, causing trouble because he wasn't getting the playing time that he promised, was promised. Well, you know what? Promises only go so far as ability. Someone could promise me, hey, we're going to make you the corporate head of Amazon. They'd be out of business in an hour and a half. If I, the promises doesn't mean crap. If you're not capable, James Harrison could no longer play. 
The only mistake the Steelers made was cutting him. They should have just kept him around and suspended him and said, here, we'll pay you, but we don't want you anywhere near the building. Just get the hell out of my sight. But he feels like he was wrong because Joey Porter said, well, we're going to rotate him in and out. Too bad. T.J. Watt turned out to be a better player even as a rookie than James Harrison, who was 39. But now he feels like somehow the organization, and this isn't a matter of standing up for the organization. The Roonies don't need my help. But I think that their record speaks for itself and how they deal with players. James Harrison had some issues. And the Roonies were roundly criticized for standing by him. Domestic abuse, the charges were dropped. But there were some issues with him. And now he thanks them, A, by trying to sabotage the team that gave him a chance. And, hey, he repaid them with great play. He They replay, repaid him by paying him a lot of money. They didn't pay him a lot of money and bring him back. Remember he went to Cincinnati, he was an abject failure, and they brought him back, which was probably a mistake. And somehow he feels he's wrong, so now he tells Bell, yeah, I'd, go, I'd screw him. Yeah, they're taking advantage of you. No, they're not. They're playing by the rules, and by the way, so is Le'Veon Bell. I think, even though it's not written down anywhere in the collective bargaining agreement, that no athlete goes in, fakes an injury, and said, oh, I can't play, which is exactly what Harrison is suggesting. And, oh, by the way, that's exactly what his agent, Bell's agent, was talking about. Our major concern is making sure that Bell is healthy for free agency. This is what Harrison is saying, is what Bell's saying. And they're right in one respect. If he does show up here, they're going to run the wheels off. They don't care what happens to him after this year. I get that. But here's where Harrison's ill-advised advice, <laughs> well, you take advice from a guy like that, Here's where it backfires. So let's say, for example, the Steelers are actively, if not seeking a trade, certainly listening to trade offers. The Jets have been rumored, others. Now, if I'm the Jets, and I say, yeah, we're, you know, we're going to make a trade and bring in Le'Veon Bell. But now the agent Bell, and even a dope like James Harrison is saying, we... We, the Jets, could make a trade. We get him in here. Whatever we give up, we give up. We pay eight hundred and fifty grand a week to him, and he's going to say, I can't play this week. My ankle hurts. Don't you think that would significantly cut down the trade market? Who would make a trade with the cloud of that hanging over your head? You'd have to be an idiot. But there are plenty of idiots in the NFL. And I'm not suggesting that if he does become an unrestricted free agent at the end of this football season, that teams won't be lined up to talk to him. 
But I guarantee in the back of their minds, they're going to say, we're going to pay all this money, and he's going to object once we hit 30 carries a game or 20 carries a game or whatever it ends up being. This does not help Le'Veon Bell's cause, maybe not as much next year, but it certainly does this year. If the Steelers were to rescind the tag one minute from now and he becomes an unrestricted free agent, which he would, teams going out to bid for his services, and they could offer him even more than the eight fifty a week, are going to say he's going to become an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year. Are we going to bring him in here, and he's going to do exactly what James Harrison said he should do? With friends like James Harrison, you don't need enemies. Sarcastic Sword joins us now. Hello, Sword. Hey, Stan. Uh, James Harrison's been one of my favorite players all my life for all the time. He was a, a steer until the last couple of years. Uh, he always played with a chip on his shoulder. He was able to get that anger out of his system. Uh, usually on Sundays, and he did it very well. Now that that's gone, I guess he's turning to the the press to get that anger out. He never had any use for the league hierarchy, as you know. But uh, I will say that I hate to get personal with the guy, but it wasn't too many years ago where he gave us a great example of how to raise your children about not accepting trophies for participation if you remember that. I just yep. hope his kids are in school and not getting to see their dad pulling this kind of crap. It's obvious James Harrison's never owned a business, probably not even a lemonade stand, to have some idea of an employer-employee relationship. That's obvious. Uh, and you're right. I think uh, he'd do uh, Levy and Bell much, much better by keeping his mouth shut uh, than to chime in. And if any, uh, I would be, you know, well, they're in need, I guess, for any commentators out there. There's so many channels and so many programs. But uh, it's, I'm sorry to see James Harrison take his anger forward. I know Jim Brown for a while was extremely angry because of the kind of money these young backs are making, and they compare it to when they were in the league and what they made. And there's a great deal of angry. Brown has since got over that and turned out to be a very good spokesman for players or former players. But it's a shame to see James... Uh, kind of go down the drain here with his anger. Uh, it'll get you nowhere, but uh, below the ground, I guess, if you get well, my drift. Yeah, but, no, no doubt. And, and um, uh, his anger, not to psychoanalyze the guy, I mean, he's one of 11 children. He wasn't a high-profile guy. Um, if you remember, if you remember when he first came to the Steelers, the defensive coaches said, get him out of here. He was disruptive in practice. He was stalking around. He was stomping around. Um, he just wasn't agreeable. Not that everybody has to be Mr. Rogers, but he they wanted him out of here because of his behavior, not because of his play. You know, he was cut a number of times, went to Baltimore. They cut him largely because he had anger management issues. And you're right, football became an outlet for him. Um, but I... It, I think you can separate uh, his play, which was amazing. There's no, no one's questioning that. But he always was kind of a surly guy, chip on his shoulder. Somehow life screwed him over, um, and, and um, he just forgot 
Uh, not that he should be forever grateful. Like I said, Steelers paid him well, and he repaid them in terms of his play. Uh, but there's also, it seems to me, a code. Uh, and one, to me, the element of the code is uh, you're, if, you, if you don't like the owner, if you don't like the coach, um, then have some pride and dignity in yourself and, at the very least, support your teammates in that locker room. And this is exactly the opposite of that. Yeah, a, you're exactly right. And any employee, if they're disgruntled, should, you have the option of going out the door and go somewhere else instead of trying to get an organization to change to your wants and needs. Uh, I don't know if you have a minute uh, on the game. Uh, if I, not, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm over time, Sword. Um, well, Thanks, I'll be here, uh, l- like they say, uh, at the comedy clubs. I'll be here all week. <laughs> so <laughs> tip, make sure you tip your weight staff um, and call back. We'll talk about the game. Thank you. Thank you, Steph. All right. We're going to talk some hockey. We're going to talk more football. I do want to get um, to, to the issue uh, about all the penalties. Who's really at fault? Uh, here, I you know, it really goes to you know to everybody. Um, but I, I I wonder what your thoughts are. Um, Ed on Facebook said I've had quite enough of James Harrison. Like Noel said, get on with your life's work, whatever um, that may be. Neil says James doesn't always uh, exercise the best judgment, but I will always love the guy for his contribution to the Steelers. Not for him. Steelers are likely stuck at five Super Bowl victories. Um, th- that is a separate issue, isn't it? That's a separate issue. One last item on Harrison, and we'll talk more about that. David says James Harrison seemed to pride himself as a player with upholding a certain level of professionalism, and he did more than most to prepare his body and his mind to perform on the field. I guess towards the end, that sense of honor and duty either left him or wasn't there to begin with. And in retirement, he seems to be stoking the fires of similar bad behavior in other athletes. As far as I'm concerned, the success he had as a player has been nullified by these kinds of comments as well as previous actions as a stealer and represent his true dishonorable self. There's a, we just went through this. It was Maya Angelou who said this, thanks to one of our leaders. When somebody shows you who they are, believe them. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. I understand it was an emotional game, a big game, uh, prime time for us responding from a uh, negative performance. So I understand the emotions in it, but boy, we got to play cleaner than we played last night. Uh, we played hard. Uh, but we got to play cleaner. We got to play smarter. Thirteen penalties. I don't care who you're playing. It could have cost them the game. It almost did. Hundred and fifty-five yards in penalties, and they lead the league. I want to get to that. I do want to mention this tweet. It comes from Kevin who's in Martinsburg, West Virginia, and he's actually tweeting to James Harrison. He said, you try and set an example to your sons by not letting them accept participation trophies. What kind of example are you setting by giving advice to Le'Veon Bell to sabotage the Steelers by faking an injury? Great example of ethics. Morally bankrupt. Kevin tweets, Harrison's advice to Bell is immoral. What does it say about his character that he'd go on TV and say this? 
especially against a team that paid him over $50 million. Despicable. Jerry says Debo's tripping. Never spoke to the media when playing. Uh, when playing, now he's loose-lipped. Well, the reason he's doing it now is because someone's paying him. Not a matter of liking the media. They're paying him now. I do think there's a... An issue of morality here. I do. Maybe I'm overplaying that hand. I don't know. But that's the way I feel. There's just something inherently wrong about going in, faking an injury. If you're worried about getting hurt, then stay out the whole year. And I know he doesn't accrue the season to become a free agent, but believe me, the Steelers will rescind that franchise tag because they're not going to go through this again. They're not going to sit there for 2019 having to hold $15 million aside in the salary cap. Well, maybe he'll show up. And I can't believe they would want him around anymore, ever. So they'll rescind. So if you're so worried about getting hurt, then stay out the whole year. I guarantee you. The Steelers will not exercise their right to tag him next year. Guaranteed. They don't get any compensation, then they don't get any compensation. My goodness, it doesn't come till 2020 anyway. Any worries about that? All right, the penalties. Uh, 13 is too many. I don't care what they are or what they were for. I mean, I, I really don't. But I do think what they're for is an issue. Look, if a guy is consistently, let's say an offensive lineman, is consistently holding, that means he's not good enough to do the job without grabbing. You get another guy. If a guy jumps offside and does it repeatedly, all right, he's amped up, whatever, false start. If he does it repeatedly... You find someone who doesn't. But when the penalties are just constantly blocking the back, and this is not just here, it's everywhere. Look, I played the game, not at this level, and it didn't move as fast as it does now. But at some point, if your job is to be on special teams, if you see the opponent's number on the back of his jersey, you can't hit him. Better yet, if you see his name, you can't you can't touch him. How do they think they're going to get away with that? It's like robbing a bank with 15 cops standing in the lobby. How do you think you're going to get away with that? I understand there are inadvertent face masks. It happens. But when it happens repeatedly, you've got to change your technique. I know you're grabbing anything you possibly can. I think anybody who plays the game understands that. But you've got to be at least aware of it. Things happen in the heat of action. But you've got to be aware of that. And it happens fast when a guy goes by and 
the only thing you got you have to grab is the helmet. Maybe maybe if you're trying to save a touchdown, you're the last line of defense. But grab for something lower. I know they're making it more difficult for players these days, but you got to make an adjustment. And if you continue to have the same players doing the same thing, then you got to find different players. Like I said, if you have a guy who's constantly holding on the offensive line, then he's not good enough. He can't keep the guy away from the quarterback or block him on a run without holding. That means he's not good enough to play. If you have a guy who's constantly grabbing receivers and getting pass interference calls, he's getting beat. You get beat, you grab, you reach. This guy didn't grab that much. Here's the answer to the trivia question. The last Steelers defensive back to make the Pro Bowl, Troy Polamalu, 2013. Been a while. That shouldn't surprise anyone. Tom and Wheeling was the first correct caller. Coming up next, more Steelers talk with Jerry Dulac. Straight ahead, right here, Saverin on Sports, ESPN Pittsburgh. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Shotgun snap, Fitzpatrick throws for the goal line. The pass is batted and intercepted. Batted into the air at the six-yard line by Bostick. And down at the six on the backhand to pull it in is Mike Hilton. My wow. goodness, has he been around the ball. Oh, yeah, man, we, we didn't have a lot of calls. You know, uh, we, we felt confident in the scheme we had and the scheme running against them. Uh, we cut down a lot of different things and just played ball. It put us in position to make plays. You know, it gave opportunities for the D-line to get sacked, so it worked hand-in-hand. That is Mike Hilton, who injured an elbow in the game. Still no word yet on his availability for Sunday night. We'll see when they practice today. We're joined now by Jerry Dulac, who's made the trek from terrible Tampa Bay. And he's back in town. Jerry's brought to us by the pub at Tony Dale in Oakdale. $3 Bud Light, 16-ounce aluminum bottles during all Steelers games. It's a good night to drink because it's a night game. Um, not that any night isn't, but <laughs> especially Sunday night. Uh, welcome back, Jer. How are your travels? Well, Stan, uh, thank you. Um, they were fine. No interruptions or delays uh, with the plane. Uh, you know, the humidity was a little thick. And, you know, Stan, the easiest job in America, aside from tourism director of Hawaii, is weatherman in, in Florida. <laughs> Partly sunny, chance of afternoon showers every day. It's the easiest job going. Uh, undoubtedly. And uh, having lived in Florida for three years, I've told the story before. Uh, I worked at this radio station and that was back in the day when there weren't computers and we would get our, you'll remember this, our news off wire machines and they printed them out and you heard the clacking and all that stuff. Right, right. And the disc jockeys would take the weather forecast on June the 1st and it was a piece of paper. That's what you did. And they would tape it up on the console where they played the records and they would leave it there until September fifteenth because it, ne- it <laughs> right. never right. changed. Never changed. It was right. or I, it was in Orlando, high ninety nine, low seventy four, chance of showers, but it was more than a chance. It rained every day. Uh, Greenwich time, four p.m. straight up. You could set your watch by it, and that's just the way it is in the summertime and and, and early fall. Well, Stan, that, it, that, and that's basically what happened in the two days. You yeah. Know, Sunday, I got I got there. I landed at three o'clock and. I thought, okay, I got some time. Four o'clock, I was on the first tee. And about, uh, let's see, I got on the fifth tee. The lightning alarm sounded. So probably around uh, uh, 5.15, 
here comes the rain, thunder, lightning. Um, you know, never, never got back out there again because of the alarm. Next day, get to the stadium, about 5.30, 4 to 6, boom, here it comes again after a perfectly sunny day. Bad, vicious storm. <laughs> Just both days. I'm sure it happened the next day, too, and every day after that. It's unbelievable. Yeah, there's no light rain there. And when it rained, I remember when I lived there, um, it, when it hit, you had to pull over to the side of the road. I mean, oh, you, yeah. You cannot, yeah, it, you, you cannot see. Um, it was a vicious storm before the game. I know. Uh, I it, saw- it wasn't that wasn't that bad Sunday, but the, the storm on Monday was, was pretty good. Classic Florida. I saw the video of it. Um all right, let's let's talk about the game, Jerry. There's so much to digest, uh, and and you know we haven't had a chance to chat or anything. Um, just in general, what were your thoughts on their performance, and uh, you know positives, negatives, and the way it all played out? Well, I think the positives far outweigh uh, the negatives, Stan. I, you know, I think for people to sit there and dwell on the fact, uh, you know, that Tampa Bay came back and made it a game. Look, I'm not dismissing that, and the reason why it resonates is because that's what cost them in Cleveland. You know, they blew a 14-point lead in Cleveland, and it, it looked like they could could blow a 20-point lead, a second-half lead in, in Tampa. Uh, but what they did in the first half, for both taking the ball away, three picks, uh, pressure. Um, Stan, they had 10 passes defense against Tampa Bay. That means they got their hands on a lot of throws. A week earlier against Kansas City, one pass defense. Stephon Tewitt had it. That goes to show you, uh, how wide open and uncontested those Chiefs receivers were. And that changed against Tampa Bay, which has three pretty good receivers as well, and, and a quarterback as red-hot as any in the league, including Patrick Mahomes. So I thought that was a huge positive for them, uh, converting those turnovers into touchdowns. Uh, ben in the first half was tremendous. That drive at the end of the first half, going uh, 75 yards, eight of nine completions in 58 seconds. Just, it was masterful. Yes. Uh, they couldn't have played any better. Uh, they didn't run the ball very well, but they didn't have to. And and I, th- I thought the first half was just exactly what you script up. Take the ball away, score, go down the field, score, whatever the case may be. And, and you know, and then in the second half, uh, you know, they're, they're going to throw, throw, throw. I thought the pressure could have been a little bit better. I think uh, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick got away with a couple more throws. I thought there were a couple potential interceptions to be had out there. And then the Steelers got some breaks. You know, the punt return being negated uh, by the holding penalty. You know, I know Tampa Bay came down and scored anyhow. But I think if they, that count, punt return counts, uh, you know, that's a big momentum changer right there. And, of course, I was shocked that replay overturned that uh, play to Chris Godwin. Uh, where he got up and ran to the end zone. I, w- I just thought that would be ruled a touchdown because I didn't think there was enough as- evidence irrefutable to overturn that. So there were a couple breaks along the way, too, that, they, that the Steelers got. No doubt. Uh, a couple of things here. Um, did you feel as though Keith Butler and or Tomlin uh, ratcheted up the pressure uh, on Fitzpatrick, uh, meaning that not only the amount of times that they blitzed, but who they sent. I mean, I saw a number of times when there were linebackers and DBs coming after him. Yeah, um, uh, they did not want Ryan Fitzpatrick to be able to stand there. They wanted him, they wanted him to move his feet and, and get off his spot. Um, the guy who was really coming a lot who, uh, was John Boston. Yeah. Um, they were sending him repeatedly uh, after, after Ryan Fitzpatrick, and, and, I, and I think it worked. I think that was the result. I mean, the Bud... Bud Dupree interception was just the result of pressure and, and, and just throwing that ball ridiculously away. 
So um, I think that was what was successful in, in, the, in the first half. Dave, the pressure wasn't as pronounced in terms of getting in his face uh, uh, in the second half. But I, I think uh, I thought they did a good job with that, and I thought their plan uh, was good. And it was just, uh, again, it was executed to perfection. It couldn't have worked out any better, basically, basically for three quarters. Jerry Dulac is our guest. Of course, the Post-Gazette and the Steelers Radio Network pregame show begins at 620 uh, on Sunday night. Jerry, speaking about the defense, uh, Tomlin said that you know they're going to keep rotating their core cornerbacks till somebody uh, steps up. Uh, what do you think about that strategy? Um, you know, if you're looking to develop uh, continuity, if you're looking to develop communication, then maybe that's not the best way to do it. And I understand that you don't get a job just because you were a number one draft pick or for whatever reason. Um, but I mean, are 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 you looking to get you know take three nickels and make a quarter out of it? Yeah, um, I like that depiction, Stan. I, I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to get Artie Burns' attention. They know the guy who ha- he's the guy who uh, has the physical ability and talent to be that guy. You know, I'm not sitting here going to tell you he's going to be a Pro Bowl cornerback, but they know they have seen it. The problem with Artie is they're just trying to get him. Uh, you know, uh, you know. I always think that word focus is is overused. But, but, you know, be more aware of down and distance. Be more aware of his assignments. Don't zone out or whatever's going on with him. Be, you know, be, prepare a little bit better. Um, you know, you get up in press coverage and, on Tyreek Hill and you don't lay your hands on him and you think, okay, I'm going to run with him. Well, boy, you're not going to run with him. Yep. He's going to beat you, and that's <laughs> what happened. And so that's kind of, that, that's kind of a, 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 a little kind of snapshot of what's going on with Artie, and I think – I, I think it gets maddening for them. Not I think I know, and 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 I and, and I think that and they figure, look, okay, if this isn't going to change, we have to get his attention somehow or do something to to make him be a little more into the game, if you will. And and uh, I, I think that's what you're seeing. You know, Cody Sensabaugh, they like Cody. They think Cody Sensabaugh is a good cover corner, uh, but they don't look at Cody Sensabaugh as the solution when they feel they have Artie Burns, but they're not just going to sit there and play Artie Burns on the idea that, oh, we think he could be a good corner. And Stan, he, you know, he's been showing it in training camp and everything. I mean, he looked really good. Joe Hayden said he looks like he's ready to be a top-tier cornerback. That's what he was showing. And then he gets in the games, and I don't, I don't know what happens. Um, you know, I don't think it's a Lima Swede. The game's too big for him. I don't think it's that at all. But I, 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 think, it, I think it has to do with some – some uh, details and assignment issues and, and, and things like that, that that affect his ability to execute the well, what's called. You know, it's amazing to me, Jerry, that you'd actually have to get the attention um, of a third-year guy now, uh, a guy who has basically started and played for two years now and playing for a team that fancied itself a Super Bowl contender, and you have to get his attention? Um, yeah. To me, uh, you're riding the wrong horse there. I, again, I, I think that there may be some people uh, left out in the hung jury. But boy, if you you know if you've got to take those steps to this guy, then maybe he's just the wrong guy. Well, and, and you know, Stan, it's it, it's when I say it's only year three. I mean, he has played for a year and a half, but that's what, the, and that's why it's reached this point. It's not reached the point of no return, but that's what they were hoping for in year three to say, okay, that stuff's out of the way. Now let's see you take another step and be the corner that maybe we think you can be. 
whether it's man, whether it's zone, whatever the case may be. And, and you know, I, I, I think that's kind of where they are, and that's why I use the word maddening. That's what it is to them for much of what you're saying. It's like, okay, that, that, that stuff should be in the past, and you should be ready to, to go forward. And then they see that kind of the, like, uh, you know, the, the silly things that went on against Kansas City, and guys are running free, and they thought, okay, well, let's try something else here and, and see what we can you know, try to make the best of this situation. And whatever that entails, then this is what they're going to do until they feel, you know, maybe Artie just takes control of that position or, or, or however it plays out. Well, you can't cry over spilled milk, but I'm just wondering, after watching what Joe Hayden did to Deshaun Jackson, he totally took him out of the game, punt return excluded, and he, he took him out of the game. Um, right. It makes you wonder if he had been present. I mean, every team's got injuries, don't get me wrong. But my point is the value not only in his individual play, but also uh, in, in the communication issues. Well, um, I would agree with you, Stan, and, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but all you have to do is look at the number of big plays, the 40-yard pass plays that occurred last year after Joe Hayden went out when he was out for those five games relative to the rest of the year. I believe in those five games, Stan, uh, give or take a few of these, the number of 40-yard passes in the five games uh, uh, nearly doubled what they had allowed in the, in the however many games, eight, nine games previous to that. And, you know, that was because, you know, Joe Hayden might take out one guy, one of their top receivers, or help it, certainly to limit him, and then now you're missing that. And, and there's no... There's no uh, there's no doubt, and it's it's easy. It's not uh, hard to quantify what he means to the secondary. I mean, Joe Hayden's a very good corner. You just keep your fingers crossed that he that he stays healthy and can stay healthy. Without Ryan Shazier, um, well, let me put it this way: Bill Cower once said, "You have to wait six games so you can fully evaluate exactly what kind of team." You have, and they're not in bad position at one, one, and one. No, uh, not at all. Um, but I, I'm wondering. Uh, we see with this defense, uh, you know, maybe uh, you know the, the the game two was an aberration. Second, fourth quarter, really, they were okay in the third quarter. I mean, do you see this defense getting to a point where it's adequate, given the offense that they have? Do you see this defense ever getting to a point where it's adequate and not a huge liability as it was against Kansas City? Well, I do, Stan, because you've seen glimpses of it, and for most of the three quarters, it was more than, than, than just average. It was pretty darn good. In the first half, it was very good. Uh, this, you know, Tampa Bay went down and scored early, but after that, that was it. And even in the fourth quarter, when they had to get a stop, they, they did get it. Uh, um, so, in today's NFL stand, you don't have to be very good on defense. Oh, it's nice if you are. But you just have to be solid enough and come up with stops at the right time enough. Uh, but you better have the, the offense to, to kind of uh, compensate for that because you're going to need it because that's the way the game is played now. So, um, yeah, I, I, I've, I've seen it. I, I think, you know, I don't have a problem with their uh, front line. I think they have players in the secondary to be solid. Um, you know, my concern, as you've heard me say, is their linebackers, to me, are very average. And that being said, that was as productive a game as you are going to see from the entire unit uh, of linebackers. Uh, you know, every one of them co- uh, contributed. Bud Dupree with the pick six. It was John Bostick's best game by far. 
Vince Williams is Vince Williams. Vince Williams is a, is a nice player, and he's not going to be Ryan Shazier. But, you know, he was uh, prevalent on the field as well. And the guy who was actually the quietest but was solid was, was T.J. Watt, who, we've, who I think is the best. So I think that was part of it, too. You saw a big game from that linebacker unit, um, and, and that's what they're going to need. I'm just, I just don't know that they have the talent through and through at that linebacker position uh, uh, to sustain that. But I think very much so. They, they, are, they are at least an average defense, and I think, they could be, I think they can be decent. I think they can be good enough, let's just put it that way, because that's all you really have to be in this league. Last thing for you, Jerry. The comments that James Harrison made on TV suggesting that Le'Veon Bell should come in uh, with the minimum time remaining in the year and then fake injury so he didn't have to play while collecting his paycheck and accruing time. Uh, it's, it's created quite a stir here. Uh, I mean, I think we've all known, you know, who football ability aside, that's unquestioned. But I think we've all known what kind of person James Harrison is. Um, but for uh, to do that to an organization that had been pretty good to James Harrison, I just wanted your thoughts about it. Well, you know, Stan, uh, the funny thing is, is it has been suggested to me by uh, uh, several people just kind of around sports or the NFL that, I, you know, whether they say it kind of cynically or cryptically or whatever the case may be, that, you know, for that amount of money, why doesn't he come in and in week two or three go, oh, my hip's hurting a little bit. And oh, then yeah. in week eight, ah, uh, you know what, my hamstrings bother me. If you were, if because of what he and his agent have stated, his agent in particular, that they're worried about the wear and tear in his body for a future contract. But I, I think what's, and look, I, I, I mean, I'm just surprised James Harrison, you know, that's the second thing that he has said now on TV, a guy who didn't really always want to talk to the media. And I like James. I'm not throwing stones at James. I'm just surprised uh, uh, that he would, that he would say that. But I think what's being missed in this entire discussion about Le'Veon Bell, uh, you know, what, what he should have been paid or what, how he should handle this, when he's going to show up. I think people are missing the fact that when Le'Veon Bell shows up in week eight or 10, uh, do you, two things. Do you really think he's going to be in any type of shape to contribute to this football team? But, and most importantly, because of that, do you really think the Steelers are going to pay him $853,000 a week to sit on the bench? They are not stupid. Uh, that's, that's why they're handling this the way they are. And, and I just don't see – I think people are, are looking at it from Le'Veon Bell's standpoint as though the Steelers are just going to sit back and take this. And I can tell you, Stan, I will be shocked if they sit back and take this and just pay Le'Veon Bell nearly a million dollars a week to be on their team for five or six weeks and just to be able to play for a bigger contract. I'm with you. Le'Veon Bell's made his last carry as a Pittsburgh Steeler. I, don't think any- I, I fully believe that, Stan, and I don't, see any, I, I don't see any situation under which he would come in and they think he would have the ability to contribute based on the fact just solely, forget about who Le'Veon Bell is and whether you agree with him or not, after all this time missing two training camps back-to-back and then not playing, not looking, not, and even not even looking like he's in shape, whether he is or he isn't. And then coming in and contributing, and you're going to pay him that much money? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, third-round draft choice isn't worth the heartache. It just, it just isn't. All right, Jared, great stuff. Welcome uh, home. I will see you um, at Heinz Field on Sunday night, Sunday night right. if not before. 
All right, Stan, always good chatting with you, my friend. All right, Jerry, thank you very much. Jerry Dulac of the Post-Gazette, brought to us by the pub at Tonydale Oak, in Oakdale, $3 Bud Light 16-ounce aluminum bottles during all Steelers games.